I am not Carlos. I am Andrew. Um, it's my joy to serve here as our next-gen pastor. And if you're like, what's the next-gen pastor? Well, it's my joy to lead our staff of the next-gen from 0 to 18, kids ministry, from, from babies, if you got them, to when they're in high school and graduating, or maybe you got grandkids. I get to lead our awesome staff that's focused on next-gen. Um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you, even if you don't have somebody in the next-gen ministry. Maybe you haven't had a kid in college in 40 years. I'd still love to meet you after our service this morning. I'll be outside in our commons area. This week on campus, super excited. We are very excited. We're going to have over 320 kids for Connect Camps here. And so Connect Ministries is a local ministry, and they come in and they put on a camp all day long, 8 to 5. Awesome camp. Talking about Jesus, having fun and games. They're going to be leading the way here. So as you drive by this week, and it's 2 p.m., and you're, you're moving by on Simonton Bridge, and you're like, why are all those kids outside? That's why. So let me ask you to do something for me. Pray. There's an opportunity for a lot of these kids. They don't go to church. They're not just all Watkinsville kids. They're kids from all the area that are coming here, and they're going to be on our property. Pray. Pray that the Lord would do the miraculous, that he would bring them from death to life, that they would confess and believe in him as Savior King. Just like Jack did this morning. He put that out to the entire world, to our entire church, that he has confessed and believed that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. So pray with me. If you've been with us this summer, Pastor Carlos has been working through the Psalms. We've been doing it for years now. We're in songs in the summer. So we are songs, we're working through them, and we're in the Psalms. Songs and psalms are kind of fun and hard to say at the same time. If you have your Bible, open with me. We're going to be in Psalm 100 today. It's where we're going to be. Psalm 100. If you have ever taken a test, ever taken a quiz, if you, like me, and are highly competitive, and you've ever seen an O2 sensor and you put it on your finger... You know what you're always trying to see? You're trying to see triple digits. You're trying to see 100. I get blessed with hitting triple digits today. We're in Psalm 100. Pastor Carlos has been working through these psalms. And each psalm that he's worked through, we can categorize technically as a royal psalm. This old dead theologian categorized psalms for us. From everything from... Psalms of thanksgiving to imprecatory psalms, big word for saying, hey, I want to heap burning coal and ash on your head kind of psalms, to royal psalms. And we jump, each one that we've read and worked through this summer have been royal psalms. And then he comes to Psalm 100 and he says, eh, it's not royal. What I'm going to tell you today is that we've got a kingly psalm here. Psalm 100 is kingly. So read it with me, come with me and read it. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly, to the Lord. Man. 
That's how we begin. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And notice verse 3. Verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Man. Five verses. Carlos was very kind to me. He gave us the shortest of the psalms so far. So um, almost, almost half of what the shortest is that he's preached. Man, if you are like me in my Bible, it, it says in Psalm 100, um, at the top of it, it says maybe a psalm of thanksgiving. Or for me, it says be thankful. So I'm going to show that I'm a nerd. I'm going to disappoint some of you. I was on the mathematics bowl team when I was in seventh grade. So I grew up watching Jeopardy. I love Jeopardy. I love all facts. It's just fun to me. I'm one of those dudes who hops on their phone not to get on Instagram, but to get on the Internet and check on some .org or .gov site to fact check you. I'm that guy. So... I like it all. I like all knowledge. It's fun to me. My man, Ken Jennings, if you've never watched Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, all-time winner. He's now on there hosting. But I got some facts for you about Thanksgiving. I want to see if you guys know them. So who was the president for the holiday of Thanksgiving that made it and moved it to being always only on the fourth Thursday of November? Anybody? You can yell it. It's not Lincoln. Not Teddy. FDR. Franklin did it. Franklin did it. Now, does anybody know the... We're going to have some fun in here just for this moment. Does, does anybody know what major food manufacturer made the first TV dinner? And the reason why they did it, I'm going I'm to give you a little help. The reason why they did it was this. They had, just like you and me, if you feel bad about eating your leftover Thanksgiving turkey on Monday after Thanksgiving, what I'm about to tell you, don't feel bad about it. They had 250,000 pounds of leftover Thanksgiving turkey. Leftover Thanksgiving turkey. They didn't know what they were going to do with it. So some smart marketing guy, I don't know exactly who, said, hey, let's try to create this into a meal, a, a meal, and then sell it. In 1953. And then I'm going to give you one more hint. If you go to your Publix or your, we don't have Ingles around here, um, your Walmart, take your pick, and you look down in the cooking broth little section, and you don't buy generic, you buy the name brand, you buy... Swanson. Swanson. I got some good people in here. And my last one. This is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. 
Does anybody know the dude who wore spectacles who did not want the national bird to be the bald eagle? He's old, 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 old. He wanted it to be a turkey. That's right. That's right. Good work, guys. I'm proud of all of you. So we, we come to this psalm and we think Thanksgiving. When I come to Thanksgiving and I think so many different things, I think tables, I think the Thanksgiving table, I think chairs. Now, I just grabbed some chairs here. You got that pretty dining room table that you like to use for Thanksgiving, maybe a couple other times a year, right? You got the chair that you were being really kind as a man, you let all the ladies go first, the whole family goes first, you don't have a seat anymore. You just got to get what you can. And then you have my favorite chair. The folding chair. This is the one that you get when there's nothing else. And you got to sit on that hard folding chair. That Thanksgiving table. Think about that Thanksgiving table. We come to this Thanksgiving table. We talk about the royal psalms, and then we come to this psalm, and we say it's not royal. But what I want to tell you is this. We come to this table, the Thanksgiving table, maybe one time a year, maybe four times a year. Maybe you're one of those cool people who use your dining room table all the time. Kim and I just moved into our house. That's the only table in our house, so we are using our dining room table all the time. That's not normal, though. And then you got that old faithful. The one that you eat breakfast at with the family, the one that you eat most your dinners at. Now, I'm sitting in the kitchen table. For you, you might be thinking, Andrew, that's my driver's seat of the F-150 that I drive around in all day. I, I, I eat like four meals in that thing. Maybe you're a mom and dad and, and maybe you're a kid and you say, I'm in the third row of my mom's Tahoe or in her, the backseat of her Nissan. And that's where I eat most of my meals. Here's the reality when it comes to Thanksgiving is most of us give the Lord thanks right over there instead of in that chair. And here's the best part about all of it. He says, no matter what chair you give me thanks in, I'm inviting you to my table, the only table that matters. And so as we jump into Psalm 100, as we give him thanks, I want you to be invited to his table. If you've never taken your seat at his table, today's the day. Take the step that Jack did. Man, Easter 2020. Man, we get told in Scripture that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's Romans 3.23. We know it. The beauty is Romans, Romans 5.8. For the wages of sin is death. That's, that's the reality. Sin leads to death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you taken a seat at his table? Romans 10 tells us that all you need to do. Salvation is not something you work for. It's not something that you got to pull that chair up to the table to. You get to take a seat at his table. 
says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God shall or will save you. So we come to Psalm 100. We see that it's a psalm all about thanksgiving. And the, really, though, the big idea is, is completely opposite. We understand why we get to be thankful. The big idea is this. If you're looking at verse 3, the entire psalm hinges around verse 3. If you've got a door and you open and close it, the hinge matters, right? Verse 3 is where it all hinges. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. The big idea of Psalm 100 is this, guys. To acknowledge that the Lord is God and he is good. And let that drive you day in, day out, moment by moment, second by second, to have that seat at his table. To have that seat at his table. Maybe you're a pragmatic person, very practical, and you're sitting there saying, Andrew, I get that, I get all of that. What does that look like for me? Three things that I want us to work through today. We get called in Psalm 100 to worship Yahweh. Two, we get called to enter into his presence. And three, we get called to give him what he is due. So first, worship Yahweh. Worship him. As we see, acknowledge that the Lord is good. Here's where we struggle most of the time. Maybe you're reading it in um, the ESV. It says, know that the Lord is God. We struggle with cognition and thinking that that is what we're supposed to do. And what do you mean by that, Andrew? You're sitting there thinking. It's not just about the knowledge. The best way that I've heard it stated is this. It is not cognition, it is recognition. It is not cognition, it is recognition. Notice the difference there. It is not mere mental assent in your worship. The day in, the day out, that basis, that, yeah, Yahweh's God. It's the recognition of every single part of your life. Worship him. Every single aspect, in every single moment, worship him. Root out the things in your life that are taking you away from worshiping him. I'm one of these guys who, I like the inklings. If you don't know them, they're all dead. They're great literarians. Um, you got Lewis, C.S. Lewis, ever watched Narnia? That's who that is. You got Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. You got this guy named Charles Williams. If you're big into biographies, like biographies, the best one out of all of them is called The Inklings, and it's by this guy named Sir Humphrey Carter. You can find it on Amazon for cheap, especially if you're willing to buy like some raggedy old one like I did. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings gives us dark Lord Sauron's ring of power. 
Now, the ring in itself is bad. But if you look at me and, and say, Andrew, this ring right here, this is not bad, is it? But what the ring does in the Lord of the Rings, this is what the ring does. It takes your deepest desires. And maybe they're good. Maybe it's like liberating lands. Or liberating the enslaved. Or maybe it's dealing out justice on those who are due. Justice. Maybe like Frodo, man, he's, he's trying to save all of Middle-earth. That's a good, right? But you know what that ring does? That ring takes your deepest longings and desires and turns them into chief ends. That's what your life becomes all about. Every little bit of it becomes about that. And so we're called to worship Yahweh with everything that we have, but there's little things in our life that aren't necessarily bad things. But as the late Tim Keller says, and I'm going to paraphrase him, when good things become God things, they become bad things. I'll say it again for you. When good things become God things, they become bad things. Liberating lands is not a bad thing, but when it becomes the chief end, it does. Work is not a bad thing, but when it becomes your chief end and all you care about, it becomes a bad thing. School, making the grade. I'm going to tell you right now, I struggled with this for years. Getting the hundred is not a bad thing, guys. But when it becomes your chief end in all of life, what you've done is you've made it an idol. I was spending time with the Lord this morning in Psalm 106. And if you, if you got your Bible, flip over with me just to it. Psalm 106 deals with all of Israel's unfaithfulness, right? And we come and we read in verse 20. Notice this. They exchanged the glory of God. This is my favorite. They exchanged. This is how we look at idols. For you and me, man, maybe it's going to the gym and it's your aesthetic. It's idolatrous now. You've made it an idol. Maybe it's making money. Maybe it's your kids and seeing them get on the team. My favorite here is in verse 20. It says, they exchanged the glory of God for what? For an ox that eats grass. Ox are not bad. For an agricultural society, like the Israelites, they're really important. But when you've taken a good thing and made it a God thing, you've made it a bad thing. Worship Yahweh. Worship him. Worship him. And now you're probably sitting there thinking, how, Andrew? Jesus responded to the lawyer with what? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus actually says that, 
what he says is literally the entire Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets. The Old Testament, all of it hangs on these two commandments. Man, we get called to worship Yahweh here in Psalm 100. Are you loving him with everything that you have? Two, don't miss this. Not just worship Yahweh. If you're going to tuck in at his table, man, this is what you get to do. He's inviting you to grab a seat at the table of the king of the universe who died on the cross for you, for me. We get to worship him. And notice this, we get to enter into his presence. We get to do this. Man, one of my favorite things about Thanksgiving is, is I can still smell my grandmother's dumplings. Still smell them. They're just simple water and flour dumplings. No chicken. All you people with chicken and dumplings, just let the turkey have his day, people. Just some dumplings. My, my parents' parents lived for a long time. My grandfather's still living, and that's been a blessing on, on our lives. And so we never spent Thanksgiving at our home. We were always traveling, whether it was in South Georgia, in Albany, and all you people out there, Albany. I'm not that Southern, so. Down in the 229. Or it was right outside of Indianapolis, where my dad grew up in Anderson, Indiana. And you know, the tables were great. I sat at folding chairs and weird chairs. We didn't have fancy chairs. But you know the best part about Thanksgiving for us? The food was always enjoyable, but the food came and went. For me as a kid, and me even as an adult now, man, getting to be in the presence of my grandparents that was the best. That was the best. I got to hear stories about my mom and her sisters and how they were terrible, just like me. I got to hear stories about my dad and how his sister always said that <clears throat> he was the angel, just like me. Man, you got to spend time with family. You just got to be with them. Enter into his presence. This is why I come back to the fact that I actually would say Psalm 100 is a royal psalm. It is kingly. As you look at the language of verse 2, you see enter in his presence, or as I was reading via the CSB today, come before him. A.K.A. prostrate. A.K.A. fall on those knees. A.K.A. you've never been in the presence of any being like this being in the entire universe, and you never will. I was watching Cars 2 last night with Tate. Never seen it. And there's the very end, and I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but there's the very end. They're in England, and they're at Buckingham Palace, right? And you see what Mater does when he comes before the queen. He comes before royalty. 
And the first thing that he does wasn't just to keep talking. It wasn't to go shake her hand. It was to kneel before her. And even the great Queen Elizabeth fails in comparison to the king of the universe, Yahweh. And so enter into his presence. Come before him. How are you doing it? Enter into his presence. Man, I, I've been thinking and praying through Psalm 100 a lot. And I think for a lot of us, we think that we get to enter into his presence in the very sacred of this Sunday morning. And you're right. You're not wrong. The implication is there. This matters. Worship on Sunday matters. Setting aside this time matters. But don't miss this. It's not just about right now. It's not just about the one hour that we set aside every week to come here. To lift up joyful songs, to give him the praise that he's due, to come into his word and actually hear from him. It's more than that. Paul writes to the Philippians, his people in Philippi who believed in Jesus, the early church. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. He says, Then let your graciousness be made known to everyone. And in four simple words, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. <clears throat> in this moment right now, Yahweh is present. The Spirit is here. When you're at work, you know who also is near? The Lord. When you're at school, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you rise, when you sleep, the Lord is near. This is a sacred time. This is time to be in his presence in a very real way. But it is more than that, too. The implication for you and me as we enter into his presence is that he wants you, as you grab a seat at his table, to be in his presence. And yes, it is to take. And in those in between times, those times every single day where you've set aside time, you've set that 30 minutes, you've set that hour, you set whatever it is to be with him in prayer, to spend some time in the word, to take time and actually memorize the word, to spend time meditating on it, to spend time thinking just, Lord, what do you have of me? It is that. But it's also to encourage your hearts and your souls and your minds to be reminded of the reality that in the mundane, in that, I don't drive a Ford F-150, we only drive Chevys in our home. My dad worked for General Motors for 43 years, so we're faithful to the brand. In the mundane, in that chair at school that you are tired of sitting at, in that office chair, as you're on your feet in the hospital, as you're driving from job site to job site, 
He is near. The Lord is present, and He is with you, and you get to be in His presence. Last but not least, maybe most importantly as we think through it, is give Him what He is due. Man, four times in Psalm 100 is the covenant name of God used, Yahweh. Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. We come to Genesis 15. Yahweh's there with Abram, a.k.a. Abraham. And he puts Abraham, it says, into a deep slumber. Notice how it says, though. It says that <laughs> this, is, this is wild when we, when we read through Scripture in Genesis 15. It says that great terror and darkness descended. Great terror and darkness descended as Abraham was in his slumber. And then God makes a unilateral covenant. Big word, unilateral, means this. There's multiple parties, but only one party doesn't matter to. And what I mean by that is, if this party messes up, it's on them. There is no work by both parties to make the covenant actually happen. All of the effort, all of the work hangs on one party. Unilateral. And so a smoking pot and a flaming torch, Yahweh himself goes through the bits of animals that have been split in two. And as he makes that covenant with Abraham, what he sits there and says is this. He sits there and says, that do unto me as we have done unto these animals if I break this covenant. That's what Yahweh says. When you see in your Bible, capital L, and then slightly smaller font, capital O-R-D, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. You know the beauty is the new covenant in Jesus the invitation for you and me to, to take a seat at the table is a unilateral covenant as well. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to bring in your good works. We got none. You get to confess and believe in Jesus. He did all the work. He paid all the price. He took the death that we deserved on, on our behalf and for his glory. Give him what he is due. In, in the words here, I was having lunch with a buddy on Friday, and multiple friends actually were there, and we were talking through this specific point, give him what he is due. Serve the Lord with gladness. He says, Andrew, man, I serve the Lord. It's real simple. Like, I get to come to church, I get to serve, I'm invested, it's great. He says, where I fail, though, ultimately, is that I actually don't serve him with actually talking about him. And truly evangelizing, a.k.a. sharing the gospel with people. And I was taken aback. I was like, man, I, I haven't thought about it that way. Giving him what he is due is this. It is all your praise. It is that with every word and thought and action that you do, that, 
man, are we doing it for his glory? Or are we doing it for ourselves? Giving him what he is due is one word. It is everything. It is everything. C.S. Lewis, he put it like this. He said, admiration or appreciation is the adequate, correct response. He metaphorizes praising and giving Yahweh all that he is due with looking at your favorite painting. Whether that's in the Louvre, the British Museum of Natural History, the High, the Smithsonian, take your pick. My favorite painting is this, is this piece called um, Religious Scene in Particles by Salvador Dali, 1958. It's in no it's private collection. I'll never see it in real life. Really pretty, though. And so Lewis says, as you look at a painting, as you come before Yahweh, he says, admiration or appreciation is the adequate, correct response. He goes on to say this. If we do not, he says, if we do not appreciate him, then we will be, notice, man, he's blunt. It's one of the reasons why I like C.S. Lewis. He says, if we do not admire him, we shall be stupid, insensible, and here's the big words, man. We'll be stupid, insensible, and great losers. For we shall have missed something great. Give him what he is due, which is all of you. As you think through your daily lives, are you giving him what he is due? I don't just mean monetarily and sacrificing and giving generously. I mean, are you giving him the praise and the glory and the honor that he's due in all of your life? When you make the grade on the test, when you close the deal, when you buy the new home, in the mundane, boring moments, when you are trying and you're seeking to have patience with your seventh grader as you're trying to get them to practice. Are we giving him what he is due? So I invite you, I invite you this morning to come with me, take, pick your chair, all seats. I invite you to grab a seat at the table. Confess and believe in Jesus, that he is Lord, that you can't save yourself, that you are in desperate need, just like me. And let that drive you day in and day out to worship Yahweh, to enter into his presence. And number three, give him all that he is due. Pray with me. Father, I just come before you, thankful for your kindness, thankful for your mercy, thankful for your salvation, thankful for ultimately just who you are. You are God and you are good. And I'm desperately in need of you. And Lord, so we come before you this morning. The invitation is there. If there's somebody out there right now 
who doesn't know you, Jesus, who's never confessed and believed in you, Holy Spirit, and draw them to you. Maybe it's some of us in here that we've got some idols in our, our lives that aren't really allowing us to 100% worship you, Yahweh. Maybe we're in here and we're thinking, and I worship him, but I'm not entering into his presence expectantly to actually enjoy him and to grab something, to grab his word. Father, allow that to be a reality for us. Lord, we love you, we need you. In your name I pray.